How many of you glad to be here today? Say amen. amen. Appreciate your uh, prayers for me this morning, battling a little bit of a sinus infection. It's been kind of a weird winter for me. <clears throat> I'm usually very healthy, uh, but had the flu the last week of December, and then took me the first week of January to recover well for a couple weeks, and then got slammed this last week with a sinus infection. So recovering this morning, I apologize for the sound of my voice. Um, but today I'm very excited, and I'm going to plow through anyway. Uh, for this new series because I have been looking at this, been planning this series that we're starting this morning since last about September, October. And we're going to do six weeks. And we're going to talk about worldview. This morning before we jump into what that means and just kind of uh, launch this rocket, it's going to be flying around out here for about six weeks. I'd like you to stand with me one more time, please, if you would. We have two passages of scripture for our text this morning. The first one is found in the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 12. This will be our series text, which means we will use this one every week. So at the end of six weeks, then you should know this one by memory. Now, we used this a year ago in our uh, Guiding Light series on understanding the will of God. And we're going to do it this time, really dealing with more about the mind and thinking. So as we open this morning... With those introductory comments, let's begin. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul the Apostle wrote that, and now we're going to hearken back to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12 as well. Four verses here from Mark 12, verses 28 through 31. Let's read together. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer this morning. Gracious God, I just come before you with every bit of faith that I have. I, I cry out to you, Lord, for a touch, for the healing presence of Jesus, Lord, in my own body. Thank you, Lord, for clarity of my mind. I just acknowledge before you and this congregation today that I cannot do anything apart from you, Jesus. By you all things consist. You're the glue that holds the universe together. Jesus, I thank you today that you have not left us as orphans. You've sent us another comforter, the Holy Spirit who abides and dwells. He is our teacher. And I just ask you, Holy Spirit, today that you move and touch and resurrect people from spiritual death or that you send forth the call of the gospel today to touch a heart, change a life, to transform a mind. I ask you that you who give seeing eyes and hearing ears, the Lord hath made them both, that you would open them this morning and give us understanding and knowledge and wisdom and perception. Help us, O oh God, today to hear exactly what you're saying to the church. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the church. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. We'll be careful to give you all the glory all of God's people said. Amen. You may be seated together. 
in the presence of the Lord. I have a couple of important questions that I want to ask you today. The first one, very simply, is, so what is a worldview? The title of this message today is called Loving God with All of Our Minds. The new series is called Blueprint, and I'm going to do this series right here from this place. I'm going to sit. That's not because I'm tired. I am tired this morning. But I'm not doing this series because of that reason. I, I want to be a little bit more intimate. I want to talk to you. This is not going to be a shouting, screaming, swing from the chandeliers kind of preaching series. But it's going to be gear down on purpose and teach. We begin today by asking the question, so why would you do a series on, on biblical worldview? Before we ask that question, let's ask the first one, what is a worldview? A worldview, very simply, as we defined this morning, is this. It is a particular philosophy of life or a conception of the world. A worldview is a particular philosophy of life or a conception of the world. So now that you've heard it twice, say it back with me. Here we go. A worldview is a particular philosophy of life or a conception of the world. It, it, is, it is like um, a set of thoughts. It's more than random thoughts and it's more than just ideas in general, but it would be the concept of prevailing ideas or overarching ideas. It would be this idea of a particular group of ideas that together provide me a lens, a telescope, so to speak, for distance, a microscope for things up close. But in the same way that I put on this personal set of glasses that are prescribed for me, then it brings things that otherwise are fuzzy into clarity. It gives me a perspective from which I can judge reality. I can look over and then pick up that bottle of water because I can see where it is in relation to where I am. So I put on a set of lenses that gives me the ability to then interpret reality. It's not just glasses on my head to help adjust my natural sight, but it's a set of thoughts. Um, let me make you a little more comfortable. The French have given us a word, mentalité. And obviously you can hear an English word in that, and we just straight ripped it. The, the word mentality is not an English word. It's a French word that we've just literally transliterated over into the English language, took the E with the accent aigu off of it and put a Y on the end of it and made it the word mentality. Say mentality. So a mentality is a particular view of things. Um, uh, another word that might even make you a little more comfortable be, would be the word mindset. Everybody say Mindset. If someone is of a positive mindset, then they particularly see the world as a glass half full. They're able to look at the circumstances of life because they have put on a set of glasses and they're able to see that, for example, a Romans 8.28 overview of the world is that God works together all things for the good of them who love him, those who are the called according to his purpose. You're able to weather a storm because you personally as a Christian know that Jesus is in the boat with you. Say amen if you hear what I'm saying. Amen. Different from a glass half full person, which is the 
optimist would be the pessimist on the other end, and he sees water in the glass, but he sees it as a glass half empty, unlike the opportunist who walks up and drinks the glass and leaves the other two standing there scratching their head. <laughs> the pessimist sees it as a half full, I mean half empty. And so it's a positive worldview, it's a negative worldview. You've all heard the phrase before, looking at the world through rose-colored glasses. And so we realize that we don't just, any of us, look completely neutrally or objectively at the world around us, but we come to how we view life through a set of assumptions. Uh, a little bigger theological or philosophical word is presuppositions. You walked into this room this morning with a set of presuppositions about who God is. You have presupposed some things. It is impossible to not have them. Every one of us are biased in one way or another in how we arrive at knowledge. I want you to listen as I read a little paragraph from James Sire. He wrote a book called The Universe Next Door. He's a Christian apologist who is an expert in the field of worldview. Just listen. The Christian thinker James W. Sire defines a worldview as a commitment, a fundamental orientation of the heart that can be expressed as a story or in a set of presuppositions, presupposings, okay, or in a set of presuppositions Another way to say it would be assumptions that may be true, partially true, or entirely false, which we hold consciously or subconsciously, consistently or inconsistently, about the basic construction of reality, and that provides the foundation on which we live and move and have our being. Now, let me, let me translate that paragraph down to this. Every one of you walked in this room with some ideas about who God is, which means everybody in the room is a theologian. Theology. Theos, God, logos, word, account, study of. Biology, the study of living things. Bios, life. Sociology, the study of society. Psychology. The study of the psyche or the soul, suke. Okay? So you're seeing the parallels there. Theology is the study of God. Now, some are already saying, well, you know, I just don't really care anything about all the doctrine. I don't want I don't, I don't to draw lines in the sand and rattle swords with people over the finer points of theology. And what you don't realize is that in itself is a worldview. And worldviews affect how we live. Say this with me. Belief affects behavior. Come on, say it like you mean it. Belief affects behavior. So how I see the world is going to determine how I act in it and how I react to others. Let me make this incredibly plain here. If I, as a person, have been wounded in the past enough times that it has affected me in my emotional state to the point that I have put on a set of glasses of rejection. I've been wounded enough times in past experiences that I've been rejected. Someone repeatedly or maybe a number of people over the years have done things to me and it's given me a kind of a victim mentality, a negative mindset. 
Same thing worldview is what we're talking here. That can make me go into a whole new uh, environment where I'm meeting new people and I can, in the uncomfortability of those moments of introduction and meeting new people, go away thinking people have rejected me when really it was my own set of lenses. I think somebody is looking down on me and maybe they're just as uncomfortable as I am trying to break the initial ice of saying, hi, how are you, what do you do, where do you work? That is the American mantra, what do you do? Okay? So my whole point is, is that the worldview, the, the, the set of lenses, the prevailing ideas, the mentality, the mindset from which we view the world is going to greatly affect how I live in the world and act and react to others in the same world. One more time, say it with me. Belief affects behavior. So my mentality, this, this overarching set of thoughts and ideas, they're not just random thoughts, but they're, they're governing thoughts. They are like the trunk and the branches of the tree on which all of the other thoughts are discerned and judged and either added to or they're cast out. And the whole idea is, is that I want to understand from the Bible, from the Word of God, that I'm believing in completely true presuppositions and that I am learning how to be completely consistent in my worldview. So the next question is, now that we've thoroughly answered the question, what is a worldview? It's a mindset. It's a mentality. It's prevailing overarching ideas that help me to, to see the perceived reality in the world. Why would you take the time to teach a series in a local church on building biblical worldview? Because this is the answer. You can be sitting here in this congregation this morning as a blood-bought believer of Jesus Christ, part of the body of Christ. You are sitting there with the confidence and the assurance of your salvation knowing that if you passed from this life right now, you would be in the presence of God. And that is a great knowledge to have that awareness. You can be at the same time a child of God but can have been so marinated in the current American culture which is steeped in ethical relativism. The culture in which we are steeped in has been marinated in relativism which basically says truth for me is this, truth for you might be something different and whatever you do, don't force your opinion of your truth on me because who in the do you think you are tell me what you think should be truth for me. In relativism, there is no longer a capital T truth because relativism is the bastard child of Darwinism. I don't want to offend anybody, but that's a Bible word. Hebrews chapter 11 says that if you don't accept the correction, chapter, chapter 12, I'm sorry, says you don't learn, you learn how to accept the correction of God, then you are bastards and not sons. If I didn't do anything else, I just got your attention. He just said, what in church? It's a Bible word. Since the 1960s, the, the nation... The secular state of the United States of America has systematically worked to remove every vestige of God, particularly Christianity, from the public schools which you send your children to. You can 
Put your hands together and say, God is great, God is good, God, we thank you for this food. By your hands we are fed, give us, Lord, our daily bread. All you want to all week long. And when you have one hour, maybe at the most, on a nightly basis to influence your children, and they sit in a classroom six to seven, eight hours a day, and they're continuously marinated in a worldview that is completely naturalistic, denies the existence of a God. It's immersed in scientific materialism. And they're told that what's true for one is not true for another. And they are literally chock full of situational ethics. And they're told that relativism is whatever is true for you. And they are marinated in that. Guess what? You can be a blood-brought Christian knowing Jesus is your personal Savior and go out and live like the rest of the world because the overarching prevailing thoughts and worldview through which you're looking through are one that are not built on the Bible of God's Word, but they're built on the culture and the prevailing worldview, the mentality, the mindset, which is out here in the culture all around us. Now, I told you I'm going to teach, but once in a while, you know, just me, I'm just going to get up and... So it's, it's okay, dial it back. Are you getting anything out of this? Don't be afraid of the world worldview. Philosophy. Phileo is the Greek word for love. Philosophy. Sophia is the Greek word for wisdom. A philosopher is a lover of wisdom. Okay? Everybody in the room is a theologian. Everybody in the room has some kind of an idea about God. Even the atheist is a theologian. He or she would deny it, but whether or not he wants to agree or not, by definition, his view of God is that he does not exist. So he has a view about God. He is a theologian. The real question comes down to bear then is whether or not my view, my theology is any good or not. The, the worldview, the set of glasses, the presuppositions that I'm looking at the world and interpreting reality by, is it accurate? Is it correct? Is it consistent? Will it work in every area of my life? Because of all of these things that we are marinated in, folks, we, we have been literally stewing for about a generation in this MTV generation with the rappers and pop music and everything else. And it's the worldview of hedonism. It basically is life is spring break week at Panama City Beach, Florida. It basically, everything in terms of its truth base is judged through whether it brings you pain or pleasure. If it brings you pleasure, then jump in head first with both feet and get all you want. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, baby. And you know what? What you don't realize is that though there may be some of those things that were given by God in the, in the worldview of hedonism, they've been twisted and perverted and what was good now becomes bad. Same thing. God does not give any of you a drive or a desire that he does not give you a legitimate means to express that. Food, sleep, thirst, the hunger for acceptance and human significance, sex. Come on, it's God's idea. Some of you are just shocked that we even, even use the word in a church service. Come on, most of you got kids that are sitting here that know more at 12 than you did when you were 20. And it's time that we bring some redemption to, the, to our children's minds about what God's idea of some of the amazing things that he's given to us that the enemy tries to take and twist and pervert. Don't shout me down. 
So we have to make a determination that we're going to understand that we all are theologians. We walked in this room with a set of presuppositions, ideas about who God is. First point, what, what philosophy calls worldview, the Bible calls wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. What philosophy calls worldview, the Bible calls wisdom. Proverbs 4, 7, the Bible says, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. With all thy getting, get understanding. So wisdom is primary. It's the principal thing. The next verse I want to quote is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. But of him, Jesus, but of him are we in Christ Jesus who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. What that's saying is Jesus Christ is made unto us wisdom. He is the wisdom of God revealed to us there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The next one is Colossians chapter 2 verse 3. It says, in him, Jesus again, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is omniscient. He knows all things. Inside him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So think about this a moment. If Christ is in you and all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ, then that means on the inside of you are already all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You just have to learn how to access them. The Bible talks about the mind of Christ. Having the mind of Christ. And that's very relevant to what we're talking about because the title of the message today is Loving God with All of Your Mind. Like the great philosopher Aretha Franklin once said, you better think. Can you finish it? About what you're trying to do to me. And she said it three times. Look at your neighbor and say, think, think, think. <laughs> That's one of the songs that Abby did in her audition for Belmont University yesterday. Think about what you're trying to do to me. <laughs> we got to think. Victory Church is not a church that I want you to come in and check your brain at the door so that you can just have an emotional experience. God has made us as whole people and our emotions are part of us. I'm going to talk very plainly and candidly today about my personal background. And because it's mine, I can critique it. I can be a little bit critical for the purpose of showing what I'm dealing with. Having grown up in an independent Pentecostal home, for the most part, it was, it was about a very real, true relationship with Jesus, and we were a praying family. My grandfather, grandmother on both sides. My, my grandparents on my mom's side were in the church of God. My grandfather was a healer. And I don't mean get on TV and act crazy. I mean people brought sick folks by their house at 138 Pecan Street in Mark Tree, Arkansas, and Granddad laid hands on them, and sick people came in the door, and when they walked out, they were healed. I don't care what you think about that. It doesn't matter to me that you don't think it's real. I don't care that your worldview of cessationism tells you that it hadn't happened. I'm sorry, but the guy who's had an experience based on the Word of God is never at the mercy of a man who only has an argument. My grandparents on the other side were God-fearing this is going to sound crazy, but we're shouting Church of Christ back in the hills of Tennessee. My grandma Smith, uh, her old Bible has a snuff mark on every page where she would turn. (laughs) 
she would turn. Honey, she read the Bible and dipped that snuff <laughs> and loved Jesus. I grew up Pentecostal, and so it was all really kind of about, man, we always look forward to Sunday night. Sunday morning was kind of a teaching kind of time, but Sunday night is when all the stops pulled out, and, and it was, man, we had a good time. I'm not making fun. I want you to experience, I want your emotions to be touched, but I don't just want that to be the only thing, because I don't know if you realize, as powerful as Jeremy sang at the cross, and as presence-filled as Clint sang forever rain, and that Holy Ghost was in this play. He's here right now, in that moment. I don't know if you realize that, but your connection to that, your awareness of it, kind of wanes over a few hours. You may be excited up and through Monday morning, and maybe by your break at 2.15 on Monday afternoon, it's kind of like wearing off. How many you know what I'm talking about? You can't live on an emotional high. It's a roller coaster. So you have to have something that's going to sustain you. I, I grew up in a Pentecostal home, and, and, and it was all about the experience more than it was about, it was truth, but it was not so much truth-based. And there was an anti-intellectualism in my background. Now, not among my parents, because, and I'll just tell you, I don't, I don't I mean this in a bad kind of way, neither one of them graduated from high school, but they pressed every one of us to finish and to graduate college. And, and in one generation, it's amazing what two people who didn't even finish high school were able to build into their children. And my brother can testify to that sitting over there in Dewey, in Jim, myself, my sister Phyllis. And just because they pressed, it's important. You, you go to school, get educated, do what you need to do to do well. And so they pressed us for that. But the church that we were around really de-emphasized education. And there was an anti-intellectualism in it. Now that's changed in the last 40 years. Pentecost has grown up a little bit. I remember when I was 15 years old, I'd been traveling with an evangelist. We were in the hills of Georgia, in the mountains of Georgia, not the hills, but the mountains of Georgia. And I was sitting around a round table with a group of pastors and preachers and conference speakers that I very really respected, not saying a word because I was 15 and I was trying to learn. Knew that I had a call of God on my life. And so they're talking about various kinds of ideas and theological perceptions and revelation of God and all of this. And so they just, you know, I'm sitting there quiet for about an hour and a half. The service has ended. It's, you know, after 10 o'clock and we've eaten and we're probably headed toward 11 and we're talking about the things of God and just having a great time. And they looked at me and said, Michael, what do you plan to do when you graduate high school? I said, well, I'm going to college. And before I got the second syllable of ledge out with college, somebody interrupted and said, oh, don't do that. Jesus is coming back. He's going to set up the kingdom and, and that's not going to do you any good. And I won't even tell you what ran through my mind because they would have asked me to leave the table. But I had more sense. My parents had pushed into me enough of their awareness that I need to go to school and be prepared, whatever that is. And my wife calls me a perpetual student because I've been back a number of times. And so there was a wrestling away from the anti-intellectualism of my upbringing. And I... Graduated high school and went to college and was part of a fraternity and there's a bunch of guys up there that were some really good Baptist brothers that were so grounded in the word and, and it just drew me. It attracted me and we would get together in Bible studies and, and, and they noticed an energy on me when I prayed and I noticed something on them when they taught. And the, the, the real truth of the story is some of them ended up getting baptized in the Holy Spirit from my experience, and I got grounded in the Word from their experience. Matter of fact, I had a Bible revival. I read through the New Testament late into the wee hours of the morning in my dorm at Delta Hall, 
two times the first semester, and I read the whole Bible through by the end of May, at the, at the end of my first year. I couldn't put it down. I had a Bible revival. It was like, it was like um, a, a chocolate fiend in a room full of Reese's Cups. <laughs> now, that's a personal sin of mine. So just be easy on me, okay? <laughs> I couldn't put it down. I can't describe to you what it was like. The Bible just exploded and it came alive and, and I started seeing, oh, that's why I believe that way. And then I, I started going, oh, wait a minute, but that's the word, what the word says, but that doesn't jive with what I've been taught in this area. And it's like God started doing for me on a personal basis. The word came alive and he started doing for me what that first verse was that we read, the series text, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the Greek word for renewal literally is the, is the word renovate. If any of you have ever done any remodeling in your home, you know that sometimes you make a big mess by tearing out the old before you build in the new stuff. And before it's magazine ready with a great, beautiful, slick picture, I mean, it's, it's a mess for a while. It's like wear a mask because dust is floating in the air. And we've had that around here this week. They came in and wiped all the instruments off because we've had to extend the stage a little bit because of having grown and no room up here. And they didn't get the carpet matched. So you're looking at some raw lumber today. It'll be fixed by next week. But there was dust all over the place because this was a construction zone all week long. And so to renew my thinking sometimes means I have to go through the painful process of pulling some stuff out before I build in the new stuff that I can consistently walk according to, that I know then confidently that it is altogether fully true and not partially true or certainly not entirely false, the way that definition by James Sire gave us. So when I look to the Word of God, I, I, want, to, I want to help you see that God wants you to engage your mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength in all these areas. It means that I'm engaging you in thinking. It's not just about check your brain at the door and come in. And let me just tell you, I'm a charismatic. It means that I believe in the current ministry of the Holy Spirit in terms of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You need, you're sick, we will pray for you. Jesus does the healing. It's not me. I just obey what the Word says. We don't pull the shenanigans some of the guys on TV do. But we just believe the word and we trust. And it's amazing how God does that when you just do what he says do. All things are possible to them that what? Believe. There was a guy one time who found out he was going to have to have a, dra a brain transplant. Now, this is a joke, but stay with me, okay? <laughs> so he goes to the brain doctor. And this guy was a religious fellow. So the brain doctor takes him into the showroom and he shows him three brains. And the first one is a Baptist brain. And the guy says, how much is the Baptist brain? He said, well, it's been really trained in doctrines of grace, grounded in the inerrancy of Scripture, and I'll sell you that brain for $15,000. We'll put that in your head. Okay, guy says, well, what's this one in the middle? He said, well, that's a Presbyterian brain. It's really been schooled in the doctrines of the sovereignty of God, and that one is for $25,000, and I'll put that one in your head for $25,000. He says, well, what's that one over there? He said, well, that's a charismatic brain. He said, well, how much is it? He said, it's $50,000. He said, well, why does it cost so much? He said, because it's never been used. <laughs> I am a charismatic but I am a thinking charismatic. I want you to be a spirit-filled thinking believer. Are you with me? 
Now, so as we look this morning, we understand that what wisdom calls, what philosophy calls worldview, the Bible calls wisdom. Last verse I want to quote, James 1.5. The Bible says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and finds no fault. I need some, Lord. I'm asking you now, Jesus, be wisdom in my life. Fill me with some wisdom. Give me the fear of the Lord, because the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I, I want a solid, consistent entirely true worldview that will help me to interpret reality around me and to act appropriately and to react accordingly. Say amen. amen. Next point. Francis Schaeffer is a hero of mine. One of the finest minds of the 20th century, an evangelical theologian. He wrote a book years ago called He is Here and He is Not Silent. So this point is taken from a book that I read in the 1980s by Francis Schaeffer, God is here and he is not silent. And I want to talk to you for a couple of minutes about how God talks to us because there are two primary areas. He speaks to us through the general revelation of the world. Everything in creation. The Bible says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the earth, the firmament shows forth his handiworks. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all they that dwell therein. And we can walk out here into creation and see the multiplied species of trees and plant life and animals and bugs and insects and reptiles and fish and birds in the air and mammals and dogs and cats and hamsters and parakeets and all of this stuff that... Some of you have pets and you see the amazing variety and then yet even on an individual basis there is such a degree of complexity that it's just almost indescribable. When you have sat in a classroom from the time of the fifth grade on and you've been marinated in the idea that this whole thing came into being by random chance and you've been literally soaking and stewing in scientific materialism which is the child of Darwinism. The idea of evolution, that all of these multiplied species have evolved from lower life forms. And it is a determination. It is, it is literally putting on a set of glasses and glasses that literally block out all of the God rays. Some of you might buy glasses that are particularly for the purpose of protecting your eyes from certain types of UV rays. In the very same way those natural glasses protect your eyes by blocking out certain rays, I believe that there are worldviews that we can put on that block out anything to do with the supernatural realm or the idea of a creator God. When you've been marinated and stewed in that your whole life, and then out of that you, you begin to move according to ideas of relativism and that whole sex whether it's pain or pleasure kind of an idea. If it's pleasure, then do all of it you want. If it's pain, then avoid it. That hedonistic worldview. All of these things literally have been brought to bear upon us by the TV shows we watch, by the movies we go see, the songs we sing. A couple of 10-year-old boys in the park singing, I'm just a mammal. Well, you know what mammals do. If you're just a mammal, if you're just like an animal with the rest of the animal kingdom... You don't realize that you're a person made in the image of God, a human with the dignity of God, with the Imago Dei. Even though it's broken in sin, you are still stamped with the image of God. 
you, that, that little boy or girl can come to church on Sunday morning and Pastor Haley has 50 minutes with him or her to put into him that, and her that she is a unique special creation of God and she or he is immersed 40 hours a week at school in a materialistic, scientific, ethical, relativistic worldview where nothing is truth anymore and every, whatever you want to do, it doesn't matter. Truth for you is truth for you. Don't tell somebody else if they want to abort some baby out of convenience. I'm not going to chase a political rabbit down the road here, but I'm going to show you the logical conclusions of some of these worldviews in this series. Are you still with me this morning? Now, we look out here in all of the world and see the amazing complexity, and this is what has scientists running scared because literally people who have never, ever considered the possibility of a supernatural worldview or a creator God being involved who've made an attempt to put on a set of glasses and explain everything through a naturalistic mindset or mentality because of the discoveries that have been taking place the last few decades on a genetic level are amazed at the complexity down even in a single cell. It's mind-boggling. And it is of such a complexity that if everything is not there, all the components at the same time, the actual eye does not work. There is no lower form of an eye. Either everything that is in your eye that makes it work is all together. And this was what was called Darwin's black box. What produced his own horrid doubt. Now, God reveals himself to us through special, I mean through general revelation in the world. But then he doesn't stop there. God is here and he is not silent. He is a speaking God and he gives to us this amazing God-inspired word called the Bible. The second thing that he uses to speak to us, he speaks to us through special revelation of his word. Everybody say his word. Okay, so the world is talking to us and the word is talking to us. You look out here and you see the amazing variety of people and, and races and nations and creativity that humans are capable of. And then you see the outrageous amount of sin and destruction and death and poverty and disease that humans are capable of. And so we have to have some explanation for those things. Moving on, our next point this morning is that you are a whole person. You are not just mind and thoughts. You are not just heart and spirit and emotions or feeling. But you are a whole person. And Jesus said in John 4, 24, they that come to God must believe that he is. Actually, I just quoted Hebrews eleven six. John 4, 24 says, They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Everybody say spirit and truth. Now, my Pentecostal background was all about the spirit. It was about an emotional high. And there is nothing wrong with that. The only thing is, I want the emotional high you experience to be completely grounded in the bedrock of truth. This is the deal. If I'm all truth and no spirit, I dry up. If I'm all spirit and no truth, I blow up. But if I'm a good balance, appreciation, appreciating both the grounding of objective truth and the experience of subjective reality in my life with the spirit of God applying that to my heart, if I have both spirit and truth, then I grow up. Let me give it to you one more time. All truth... And no spirit, you dry up. 
all spirit and no truth, you blow up. But spirit and truth together and you grow up. Now, as a Pentecostal, it was about the spirit. I met my Baptist friends and it was about the truth. And you know what happened before it was over with? We had revival. They got filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I got grounded in the word. And that's been the, the impetus of my life ever since then. Victory Church, for the lack of a better term, let me put it in something you can understand. We are Bapticostals around here. Okay? Matter of fact, if I got real technical, we would be Presby Methobapticostals. Because I'm a Bible man, which means sometimes when I preach, it sounds like a Methodist. Because we're to be disciplined and methodical. That's where the word came from. I'm Baptist because I baptize believers and not babies. I'm Presbyterian because I believe in the sovereignty of God. I'm Pentecostal because I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't think I'm any better than anybody else. I love my brothers at all the different locations of the body around the city, but I don't think that I have to be the same as them, and we're not all cookie cutter. Victory does not have a Messiah complex. We don't think we're the only church for Crittenden County. I know I'm not the only pastor for everybody in Crittenden County. You just be quiet on the front row right there. <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Are y'all getting anything out of this? It's not either or, but it's both and with your head and your heart. There are some aspects that are definitely a heady religion. It's more intellectual. And I'm going to tell you, I can appreciate them. Before the late D. James Kennedy died, some of you are just probably going to be shocked that I listened to him preach. I'll tell you why, because it was some of the most solid theological teaching that I, I would listen to. But I also want to tell you, and some of you might not like this, but I, I don't think nobody, and I, I said that bad grammar and all, and nobody can preach like my brother T.D. Jakes can preach. He can get his preach on, and I can get some victory. Now, I'm telling you, you better think. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm like this big blend, and I love it. And doesn't mean I agree with everything either one of those names just mentioned, because I don't. Doesn't mean mine's right and theirs wrong. There are some things that we have to agree on called the necessities or the necessaries or the essentials of the faith. But there are some non-essential elements which are a whole lot, a great big part of the body of truth that we can have some liberty and some diversity in and we can still be in the body of Christ together. Come on, somebody. All right? Now, it's about both and, head and heart. So I want to engage your thinking at victory. I want you to leave having experienced the tangible presence of God, but I want you to leave with a, something grounded knowing that your feet are firmly planted on the rock of truth. Okay? Because there are days that I don't feel like being a Christian. And it's not my feeling that carries me on those days. It's the fact that I'm convinced and I know that I have been bought by the blood of the Lamb and whether or not I feel like it on that day is not what's going to determine how I go out and act. It's about that I know down in my knower based on some objective truth that I'm a child of God. Whether I feel like it or not, I'm helping somebody. Walking with God is both intellectual based on objective truth and it is experiential based on subjective truth. Now, I know that's a little bit heady, but let me make it plain for you right here. Look at the line that's printed in your bulletin right there and it'll make complete sense. Read it out loud with me. It's one thing to understand the new birth. It's something entirely different to have experienced it. Understanding new birth is the intellectual principle. 
Having experienced it is when it becomes a reality in your life. That's the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, applying that to your heart. You can know about it up here and never have tasted of it down here. Are you with me? You can know that Jesus heals. It's something entirely different to stand on the promise of the Word of God that says, by His stripes we are healed and lay hands on the fevered brow of your sick baby and go, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that you were striped and wounded and you bore our diseases and carried our sorrows, the gospel says. And you, prof you literally prophesy that, you declare it by faith over the circumstances that are screaming the opposite at you. You take the promise of God that is only a principle in your head and by faith you reach into the unlimited provision of God which he already says he's given us all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ. What we talk about last month in prayer, it's not about wrestling the blessing out of the hands of God. It's about receiving from him what he's already willingly given. Jesus hung on the cross and said to Telestai, it is finished, it's completed, it's done. So guess what? It's paid for. I'm going to take advantage of it. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus. Whatever your need is, point the promise of God toward it and stand on faith in the name of Jesus. My last point and I'm finished. Have you got anything out of this this morning? Here we go. Okay, great. So how do I love God with all my mind, Pastor? What do you mean? It's obvious that it's not just you want to have people together to shout and scream, have a good time. Yeah, we do want to be free. And you know what? We don't judge you around here based on how high you jump. But I tell you what, I do want to discern your life by how straight you walk on Monday. My granddad, who was a shouting Pentecostal, would shout hallelujah. And they would talk about Brother Jake, Jake Blake, for which my beautiful nephew is named after, Jake Turner. Brother Jake would shout the glory down in the Mark Tree Church of God. But granddad said, I don't care how loud you shout or how high you jump on Sunday night. I want to see how straight you walk on Monday morning. This is the issue. I want you to love God with your heart and with your soul and with your mind, with your strength. The heart is the center of man, the spirit. But it does not exclude the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Okay? The soul speaks of the whole person. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul. The Bible says in Genesis 2-7 that God made man, he breathed into him the breath of life and man became a living soul is what Genesis 2-7 says. Soul, Greek, uh, Hebrew word nephesh, Greek word suke. We get our English word psyche, psychology from it, study of the soul. So the soul is speaking of the whole of man. So love the Lord your God in your heart, your core of your being. Love him with your whole being. Love him with your mind that's in your thoughts. Love him with your strength that's in your body. You're putting your musculature, your bones, your, it's, it's skin on. You're, 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 you're getting in the game with skin. You're loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And too many times in my personal background, it was all about loving God with intensity in all of those areas except in our thinking. And so this morning, my last thought as I finish this is found in Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And it asks the question, how do I love God with my mind? Listen, Solomon writes, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, 
Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. Verse 4. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Now, last little illustration. I'm going to jump to 2 Timothy 2.7. One verse and I'll tie this together. We'll say the amen. Verse 6 says, for the Lord gives wisdom. We've told you today that when philosophy calls it a worldview, the Bible calls it wisdom. Same thing. If I sit back in my previous Pentecostal anti-intellectual background, which by the way, the preachers prayed a lot and they, they knew the spirit of the Lord, but there wasn't a lot of studies. As a matter of fact, when they would preach, it was based on that Psalms passage that says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And a lot of times it was a whole lot of hallelujahs, praise the Lord's, which were fill in for trying to grab the next thought because it wasn't a well thought out message with an intention. Now, I can critique that because I've been there and done that. I've done that in this pulpit because I just get up in, a, in, a, in an intensity and I get excited about it. And then that's when I go over a lot of times because I get a thought and I hear I go chasing that rabbit. And so this morning I want you to see that it's not just in trusting the Lord. There is a measure of the grace of God in coming to give wisdom. But it says I'm supposed to seek it like silver. I'm supposed to search for it as hidden treasure. Proverbs 25.2 says it's the glory of God to conceal a thing. It's the honor of kings to search out a matter. So when you open the book, let me just say this to you. There is no way you can be everything that God has called you to be until you make up your mind that you're going to get into this life manual called the Bible on a daily basis. And it needs to be more than a little single verse out of a bread promise box. You need to make up your mind. God, I'm going to seek your word like silver. I'm going to search it like hidden treasure. I'm going to dig into it and I'm going to dig deep. And God, I just thank you that when I do that, you're going to give wisdom and you're going to pour knowledge into me and you're going to transform me and renew my mind and change my life. And if you don't, you can be a blood-bought Christian knowing you're going to heaven and still make the same Bad decisions that the rest of the world does around you because you're marinated every day because of the shows you watch on TV and the books you read and the magazines that you buy and the movies you go to and the songs you listen to. And if you think every one of those messages or those different kinds of mediums aren't bringing you a worldview, you better wake up and smell the coffee. Or like Aretha said, you better think. God, help us to not be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It doesn't put it all on my back to say it's only if you seek hard enough you can find it. No, it says when I do that, then the Lord is going to give wisdom. Well, pastor, you know, that's really nice, and I enjoyed that, but that's Old Testament, and I don't really think that's for us. Okay, if you're one of them, go with me to 2 Timothy 2.7, and I'm finished. Here we go. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now, if I'm all truth and no spirit, I'll put all my bags, all my eggs in the basket of it's up to me to think all this through and figure out all my theology. And no grace on it. Let me tell you, apart from the grace of God, you can wander around there in a waste-telling wilderness. 
But if I'm over here on this anti-intellectual side where it's all spirit and I'm just going, well, you know, I don't have to study the Bible. The Lord, Lord wants to show me something. He'll just reveal it to me. I'll have a dream. I'll get a word. You better think. Yes, does God give dreams? Does God give visions? Absolutely. But let me tell you something. If you don't learn that every one of those things are secondary to the word which is primary, you can come up with some pretty harebrained ideas that didn't have anything to do with the will of God for your life. And let me tell you something. Sometimes what you thought was the Lord talking to you wasn't nothing but that bad pot of beans you had the night before before you laid down and had that dream. Or that pizza with double pepperoni on it. Y'all don't shout me down now. Think over what I say and the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Where to go to it and seek it like silver, search for it as hidden treasures, and then the Bible says God will give wisdom. The Lord will give understanding in everything. I believe that's just a good solid principle to, to ground myself. My personal subjective experience has to come in line with what the objective truth of the word says. God will never tell me something subjectively, whisper a word in my heart that's going to be in disagreement with what is word. I'm going to tell you, give you an example. This has been so many years ago. Nobody will know who I'm talking about. This is way back when we first started. lady came to me and told me that the Lord told her to leave her husband and marry the new guy she was seeing. I told her she was listening to a demon. It was a familiar spirit. It was a family spirit, and it wasn't the spirit of God's family. I said, sister, let me tell you something. I love you and I appreciate you, but this is what the Bible says, and the Lord told me is never a substitute for what the Bible says. Now, you've got a rhema from God, a, a right now word that comes, and it lines up with this one, then you go ahead and get out of the boat and step on the water, and God will see to it that you can walk on those waves. But anytime you come with a dream or a vision or a word that tells you something contrary to what's already been written, that right there should be a red flag going, now wait a minute, that's probably not the Lord. Are you following me? Think about what I've said and the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Have you got anything out of this this morning? I believe there's some people in the room today as we bring this service to a close. Message is done. I believe there are people in here who've probably grown up around the gospel and you know what it means to sit in a service and hear somebody offer a prayer for salvation. It's one thing to understand the new birth. It's something entirely different to have experienced it. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, as we prepare to close this service today, I just want to ask you this question. If you were sitting in this room and you have never personally crossed the line of faith and said, Jesus Christ come into my heart, save me, change me. There is an opportunity right now at this point. There is nothing that you can do that would put you in a place of deserving that. Right now, if I got what I deserved, I would personally, presently be in hell. But I'm thankful for Jesus Christ, who while yet a sinner, me, he died for me, he took my place. The penalty, the price, the payment of sin was poured out upon him for me. And the Bible tells me that if I go after what I'm earning, that I'm going to get the wages of sin that's only death. But if I'll reach out and receive from him by grace through faith, the gift of God, that's eternal life through Jesus Christ. He paid the price. He was wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement of your peace was upon him and by his stripes 
you were healed at Calvary 2,000 years ago. But now whether or not you choose to follow, whether or not you choose to say, yes, Jesus, you took my place. Come into my heart. Save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Forgive my sin. God is tapping some shoulders in this room this morning. The Spirit of God is issuing a call to you personally. He's calling his sheep by name. Your response now is to say, yes, Lord. Very simply, come into my heart, Jesus. Make me new. Nothing you can earn or deserve. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Anyone who'd like prayer this morning, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'm just going to pray for you right here. Anyone who'd like to say, Pastor, please pray for me. I'm at that line of faith. I want to cross it. Slip your hand up. I want to pray for you right now. Anybody in the room? Yes. Thank you. I see that one. Anyone else? Is there another? Yes. I see yours as well. Thank you. Anyone else? Father, in the name of Jesus, these this morning who have raised their hands, Lord, acknowledging that they desperately need you, God, every one of us in this room, join our hearts in prayer with them. And Father, we just say right now, Jesus, save me. Pray that in your heart, those of you who raised your hands. Jesus, save me. Forgive my sin. Change my life. Help me, Lord, to renew my mind to who you've called me to be. Now your child, your son, your daughter. Father, thank you in the name of Jesus that lives change in this moment. Fill us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name. Talking to the believers now, you know that if you were to pass from this life right now, you would be in the presence of the Lord. But you also know that something has sparked in your heart today, and in response to this message, there's an area or two where the Lord has tapped you on your shoulder and has said there's a promise that you need to reach out and take hold of. Maybe there's sickness and you need to trust for healing. Maybe there's lack and you need to trust for, for provision. Confusion, you need peace. Maybe just not knowing the direction to take. You need the Lord to give you wisdom and understanding. If you'd like to be included in this prayer right now, just to say, Father, you know, I don't want to just know about a principle, but I want to experience everything you have for me in my life. If you would just slip up your hand in the room this morning. Several. Father, in the name of Jesus, for all these hands that just raised. Thank you for my brothers and sisters who are hungry to know you. Lord, that we would be men and women like Solomon said, that we would seek it like silver. We would search for the hidden treasures. That we would think over what you've said and that the Lord will give understanding in everything. Lord, you'll give wisdom. Thank you, Lord, that you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. We'll be careful to give you all the praise and all the glory of God in this place. All of God's people said, Put your hands together and give the Lord praise this morning, if you would, please. If you made a fresh